Section ten of Vice Versa by F. Anstey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Vice Versa by F. Anstey. Chapter nine. A letter from home. Here are a few of the unpleasantest words that ever blotted paper. A letter, and every word in it a gaping wound merchant of venice if it were not that it was so absolutely essential to the interest of this story i think i should almost prefer to draw a veil over the sufferings of mr bultitude during the rest of that unhappy week at christian house but it would only be false delicacy to do so things went worse and worse with him the real dick in his most objectionable moods could never have contrived to render himself one quarter so disliked and suspected as his substitute was by the whole school masters and boys it was in a great measure his own fault too for to an ordinary boy the life there would not have had any intolerable hardships if it held out on exceptional attractions but he would not accommodate himself to circumstances and try during his enforced stay to get as much instruction and enjoyment as possible out of his new life perhaps in his position it would be too much to expect such a thing and at all events it never occurred to him even to attempt it he consumed himself instead with inward raging and chafing at his hard lot and his utter powerlessness to break the spell which bound him sometimes indeed he would resolve to bear it no longer and would start up impulsively to impart his misfortunes to someone in minor authority not the doctor he had given that up in resigned despair long since but as surely as ever he found himself coming to the point the words would stick fast in his throat and he was only too thankful to get away with his tale untold on any frivolous pretext that first suggested itself this of course brought him into suspicion for such conduct had the appearance of a systematic course of practical joking and even the most impartial teachers will sometimes form an unfavourable opinion of a particular boy on rather slender grounds and then find fresh confirmation of it in his most insignificant actions as for the school generally his scowls and his sullenness his deficiency in the daring and impudence that had warmed their hearts towards dick and above all his strange knack of getting them all into trouble for he seldom received what he considered an indignity without making a formal complaint all this brought him as much hearty dislike and contempt as perhaps the most unsympathetic boy ever earned since boarding-schools were first invented the only boy who still seemed to retain a secret tenderness for him as the dick he had once looked up to and admired was jolland who persisted in believing and in stating his belief that this apparent change of demeanour was a perverted kind of joke on bultitude's part which he would condescend to explain some day when it had gone far enough and he wearied and annoyed Paul beyond endurance by perpetually urging him to abandon his ill-judged experiment and discover the point of the jest. But for Jolland's help, 
which he persevered in giving in spite of the opposition and unpopularity it brought upon him mr bultitude would have found it impossible to make any pretence of performing the tasks required of him he found himself expected as a matter of course to have a certain familiarity with greek paradigms and german conversation scraps propositions in euclid and latin gerunds of all of which having a strict commercial education in his young days he had not so much as heard before his metamorphosis but by carefully copying jolland's exercises and introducing in mistakes of his own to supply the necessary local colour he was able to escape to a great degree the discovery of his blank ignorance on all these subjects an ignorance which would certainly have been put down as mere idleness and obstinacy but it will be readily believed that he lived in constant fear of such discovery and as it was his dependence on a little scamp like his son's friend was a sore humiliation to one who had naturally supposed that any knowledge he had not happened to acquire could only be meretricious and useless he led a nightmare sort of existence for some days until something happened which roused him from his state of passive misery into one more attempt at protest it was saturday morning and he had come down to breakfast after being knocked about as usual in the dormitory overnight with a dull wonder how long this horrible state of things could possibly be going to last when he saw on his plate a letter with the paddington postmark addressed in a familiar hand his daughter barbara's for an instant his hopes rose high surely the impostor had been found out at last and the envelope would contain an urgent invitation to him to come back and resume his rights an invitation which he might show to the doctor as his best apology but when he looked at the address which was master richard bultitude he felt a misgiving it was unlikely that barbara would address him thus if she knew the truth he hesitated before tearing it open then he tried to persuade himself that of course she would have the sense to keep up appearances for his own sake on the outside of the letter and had compelled himself to open the envelope with fingers that trembled nervously the very first sentences scattered his faint expectations to the winds he read on with staring eyes till the room seemed to rock with him like a packet-boat and the sprawling schoolgirl handwriting crossed and recrossed on the thin paper changed to letters of scorching flame but perhaps it would be better to give the letter in full so that the reader may judge for himself whether it was calculated or not to soothe and encourage the exiled one here it is my dearest darling dick i hope you have not been expecting a letter from me before this but i had such lots to tell you that i waited till i had time to tell it all at once for i have such news for you you can't think how pleased you will be when you hear it where shall i begin i hardly know for it still seems so funny and strange almost like a dream only i hope we shall never wake up i think i must tell you anyhow as it comes well ever since you went away 
dear father has been completely changed you would hardly believe it unless you saw him he is quite jolly and boyish only fancy and we are always telling him he is the biggest baby of us all but it only makes him laugh once you know he would have been awfully angry if we had even hinted at it do you know i really think that the real reason he was so cross and sharp with us that last week was because you were going away for now the wrench of parting is over he is quite light-hearted again you know how he always hates to show his feelings he is so altered now you can't think he has actually only been once up to the city since you left and then he came home at four o'clock and he seems to quite like to have us all about him generally he stays at home all the morning and plays at soldiers with baby in the dining-room you would laugh to see him loading the cannon with real powder and shot and he didn't care a bit when some of it made a hole in the sideboard and smashed the looking-glass we had such fun the other afternoon we played at brigands papa had the upper conservatory for a robber cave and stood there keeping guard with your pop-gun and he wouldn't let the servants go by without a kiss unless they showed a written pass from us miss mcfadden called in the middle of it but she said she wouldn't come in as papa seemed to be enjoying himself so bowler has given warning but we can't think why we have been out nearly every evening once to hengler's and once to the christie minstrels and last night to the pantomime where papa was so pleased with the clown that he sent round afterwards and asked him to dine here on sunday when sir benjamin and lady bangle and alderman fishwick are coming won't it be jolly to see a clown close to should you think he'd wear his evening dress miss mangle has been given a month's holiday because papa didn't like to see us always at lessons think of that we're going to have the whole house done up and refurbished at last papa chose the furniture for the drawing-room yesterday it is all in yellow satin which is rather bright i think i haven't seen the carpet yet but it is to match the furniture and there is a lovely hearth-rug with a lion hunt worked on it but that isn't the best of it we are going to have the big children's party after all no one but children invited and everyone to do exactly what they like i wanted so much to have you home for it but papa says it would only unsettle you and take you away from your work had dolky forgotten you i should like to see her so much now i really must leave off as i am going to the aquarium with papa mind you write me as good a letter as this is if that old doctor lets you minnie and roly send love and kisses and papa sends his kind regards and i am to say he hopes you are settling down steadily to work with best love your affectionate sister barbara bultitude p s i nearly forgot to say that uncle duke came the other day and has stayed here ever since he is going to make papa's fortune i believe by a gold mine he knows about somewhere and a steam tramway in lapland but i don't like him very much he is so polite 
it would be nothing short of an insult to the reader's comprehension if i were to enter into an elaborate explanation of the effect this letter had upon mr bultitude he took it in by degrees trying to steady his nerves at each additional item of poor barbara's well-meant intelligence by a sip at his tin-flavoured coffee but when he came to the postscript in spite of its purport being mercifully broken to him gradually by the extreme difficulty of making it out from two undercurrents of manuscript he choked convulsively and spilt his coffee dr grimstone visited this breach of etiquette with stern promptness this conduct at table is disgraceful sir perfectly disgraceful unworthy of a civilised being i have been a teacher of youth for many years and never till now did i have the pain of seeing a pupil of mine choke in his breakfast cup with such deplorable ill-breeding it's pure greediness sir and you will have the goodness to curb your indecent taste in consuming your food for the future your excellent father has frequently complained to me with tears in his eyes of the impossibility of teaching you to behave at meals with common propriety there was a faint chuckle along the tables and several drank coffee with studied elegance and self-repression either as a valuable example to dick or as a personal advertisement but paul was in no mood for reproof and instruction he stood up in his excitement flourishing his letter wildly dr grimstone he said never mind my behaviour now i've something to tell you i can't bear it any longer i must go home at once at once sir there was a general sensation at this for his manner was peremptory and almost dictatorial some thought he would get a licking on the strength of it and most hoped so but the doctor dismissed them to the playground keeping paul back to be dealt with in privacy mrs grimstone played nervously with her dry toast at the end of the table and she could not endure to see the boys in trouble and dreaded a scene while dolky looked on with wide bright eyes now sir said the doctor looking up from his marmalade why must you go home at once i've just had a letter stammered paul no one ill at home i hope no no said paul it's not that it's worse she doesn't know what horrible things she is telling me who is she said the doctor and dolky's eyes were larger still and her face paled i decline to say said mr bultitude it would have been absurd to say my daughter and he had not the presence of mind just then to transpose the relationships with neatness and success but indeed i am wanted most badly what are you wanted for pray everything declared paul it's all going to rack and ruin without me that's absurd said the doctor you're not such an important individual as all that bultitude but let me see the letter show him the letter lay bare all those follies of dick's the burden of which he might have to bear himself very shortly never besides what would be the use of it 
it would be no argument in favour of sending him home rather the reverse so paul was obliged to say excuse me dr grimstone it is uh, of a private nature i don't feel at liberty to show it to any one then sir said the doctor with some reason if you can't tell me who or what it is that requires your presence at home and decline to show me the letter which would presumably give me some idea on the subject how do you expect i am to listen to such a preposterous demand eh just tell me that once more would paul have given worlds for the firmness and presence of mind to state his case clearly and effectively and he could hardly have had a better opportunity for schoolmasters cannot always be playing the tyrant and the doctor was in spite of his attempts to be stern secretly more amused than angry at what seemed a peculiarly precocious piece of effrontery but paul felt the dismal absurdity of his position nothing he had said nothing he could say short of the truth would avail him and the truth was precisely what he felt most unable to tell he hung his head resignedly and held his tongue in confusion pooh said the doctor at last let me have no more of this tomfoolery bultitude it's getting to be a positive nuisance don't come to me with any more of these ridiculous stories or some day i shall be annoyed there go away and be contented where you are and try to behave like other people contented muttered paul when out of hearing as he went upstairs and through the empty schoolroom into the playground behave like other people oh yes i suppose i shall have to come to that in time but that letter everything upside down bangle as to meet a common clown that fellow duke letting me in for gold mines and tramways it's all worse than i ever dreamed of and i must stay here and be contented it's it's perfectly damnable all through that morning his thoughts ran in the same doleful groove until the time for work came to an end and he found himself in the playground and free to indulge his melancholy for a few minutes in solitude for the others were still loitering about in the schoolroom and a glass outhouse originally intended for a conservatory but now devoted to boots and slates and the books liberally besmeared with gilt and telling of the exploits of boy heroes so beloved of boys mr bultitude only too delighted to get away from them for a little while was leaning against the parallel bars in dull despondency when he heard a rustling in the laurel hedge which cut off the house garden from the gravelled playground and looking up saw dulcie slip through the shrubs and come towards him with an air of determination in her proud little face she looked prettier and daintier than ever in her grey hat and warm fur tippet but of course paul was not of the age or in the mood to be much affected by such things he turned his head pettishly away it's no use doing that dick she said i'm tired of sulking i shan't sulk any more till i have an explanation paul made the sound generally written sure you ought to tell me everything i will know it oh dick you might tell me i always told you anything you wanted to know 
and i let mamma think it was i who broke the clock-shade last term and you know you did and i want to know something so very badly it's no use coming to me you know said paul i can't do anything for you yes you can you know you can said dulcie impulsively you can tell me what was in that letter you had at breakfast and you shall too what an inquisitive little girl you are said paul sententiously it's not nice for little girls to be so inquisitive it doesn't look well i knew it cried dulcie you don't want to tell me because because it's from that other horrid girl you like better than me and you promised to belong to me for ever and ever and now it's all over say it isn't oh dick promise me to give the other girl up i'm sure she's not a nice girl she's written you an unkind letter now hasn't she upon my word said paul this is very forward at your age too why my barbara your barbara you dare to call her that oh i knew i was right i will see that letter now give it me this instant said dulcie imperiously and paul really felt almost afraid of her no no he said retreating a step or two it's all a mistake there's nothing to get into such a passion about there isn't indeed and don't cry you're really a pretty little girl i only wish i could tell you everything but you'd never believe me oh yes i would dick protested dulcie only too willing to be convinced of her boy lover's constancy i'll believe anything if you'll only tell me and i'm sorry i was so angry sit down by me and tell me from the very beginning i promise not to interrupt paul thought for a moment after all why shouldn't he was it much pleasanter to tell his sorrows to her little ear and hear her childish wonder and pity than face her terrible father he had tried that and then she might tell her mother and so his story might reach the doctor's ears after all without further effort on his part well he said at last i think you're a good-natured little girl you won't laugh perhaps i will tell you so he sat down on the bench by the wall and dulcie quite happy again now at this proof of good faith nestled up against him confidentially waiting for his first words with parted lips and eager sparkling eyes not many days ago began paul i was somebody very different from oh indeed said a jarring sneering voice close by was you and he looked up and saw tipping standing over him with a plainly hostile intent go away tipping said dulcie we don't want you dick is telling me a secret he's very fond of telling i know retorted tipping if you knew what a sneak he was you'd have nothing to do with him dulcie i could tell you things about him that he's not a sneak said dulcie are you dick why don't you go tipping never mind what he says dick go on as if he wasn't there i don't care what he says 
it was a most unpleasant situation for mr bultitude but he did not like to offend tipping i-i think some other time perhaps he said nervously not now ah you're afraid to say what you are going to say now i'm here said the amiable tipping nettled by dulcie's little air of haughty disdain you're a coward you know you are you pretend to think such a lot of dulcie here but you daren't fight fight said mr bultitude eh what for why for her of course you can't care much about her if you daren't fight for her i want to show her who's the best man of the two i don't want to be shown wailed poor dulcie piteously clinging to the reluctant pole i know don't fight with him dick i say you're not to certainly not said mr bultitude with great decision i shouldn't think of such a thing and he rose from the bench and was about to walk away when tipping suddenly pulled off his coat and began to make sundry demonstrations of a martial nature such as dancing aggressively towards his rival and clenching his fists by this time most of the other boys had come down into the playground and were looking on with great interest there was an element of romance in this promised combat which gave it additional attractions it was like one of the struggles between knightly champions in the waverley novels several of them would have fought till they couldn't see out of their eyes if it would have given them the least chance of obtaining favour in dulcie's sight and they all envied dick who was the only boy that was not unmercifully snubbed by their capricious little princess paul alone was blind to the splendour of his privileges he examined tipping carefully as the latter was still assuming a hostile attitude and chanting a sort of war-cry supposed to be an infallible incentive to strife yah you're afraid he sang very offensively i wouldn't be a funk pooh said paul at last go away sir go away go away eh sneered tipping who are you to tell me to go away go away yourself certainly said paul only too happy to oblige but he found himself prevented by a ring of excited backers don't funk it dick cried some forgetting recent ill-feeling in the necessity for partnership go in and settle him as you did that last time i'll second you you can do it don't hit each other in the face pleaded dulcie who had got upon a bench and was looking down into the ring not if the truth must be told without a certain pleasurable excitement in the feeling that it was all about her and now mr bultitude discovered that he was seriously expected to fight this great hulking boy and that the sole reason for any disagreement was an utterly unfounded jealousy respecting this little girl dulky he had not a grain of chivalry in his disposition chivalry being an eminently unpractical virtue and naturally he saw no advantage in letting himself be mauled for the sake of a child younger than his own daughter dulky's appeal enraged tipping who took it as addressed solely to himself you ought to be glad to stick up for her he said between his teeth i'll mash you for this see if i don't 
paul thought he saw his way clear to disabuse tipping of his mistaken idea are you proposing he asked politely to to mash me on account of that little girl there on the seat you'll soon see growled tipping cut your head and come on no but i want to know persisted mr bultitude because he said with a sickly attempt at jocularity which delighted none you see i don't want to be mashed i'm not a potato and if i understand you right you want to fight me because you think me likely to interfere with your claim to that little girl's affections that's it said tipping gruffly so you'd better waste no more words about it and come on but i don't care about coming on protested paul earnestly it's all a mistake i've no doubt she's a very nice little girl but i assure you my good boy i've no desire to stand in your way for one instant she's nothing to me nothing at all i give her up to you take her young fellow with my blessing there that's all settled comfortably eh he was just looking round with a self-satisfied and relieved air when he began to be aware that his act of frank unselfishness was not as much appreciated as it deserved tipping indeed looked baffled and irresolute for one moment but a low murmur of disgust arose from the bystanders and even jolland declared that it was too beastly mean as for dolky she had been looking on incredulously at her champion's unaccountable tardiness in coming to the point but this public repudiation was too much for her she gave a little low wail as she heard the shameless words of recantation and then without a word jumped lightly down from her bench and ran away to hide herself somewhere and cry even paul though he knew that he had done nothing but what was strictly right and had acted purely in self-protection felt unaccountably ashamed of himself as he saw the effect of his speech but it was too late now end of section 10